Blog Talk Radio. You are now listening to CLNS Radio, your source for all things basketball. You cannot stop this guy. This guy is unbelievable right now, and with the way he's playing, he's played an outstanding brand of basketball. You're trying to tell me he's not the next best thing? What are you hearing? Man, all I know is this guy can fall, and if you can come out and play with him, you can play with anybody in the league. I want your opinion. Call into the show. Why don't you drive the rack? Seriously, why don't people drive the rack more often? Fed up with this cookie-cutter brand of basketball, not go out and hand check. What are you comparing? The guy's got grit. The guy's got moxie, and the guy's got heart. What more do you want? Broadcast through Blog Talk Radio and CLNS Radio. They gonna me for my ambition. Welcome to the Hooper's Log. Here's your host, Simo Buck. They gonna me for my ambition. Episode 95 here on Day 1 Recap of the 2016 NCAA Tournament. My name is Simo Buckets, and yes, it is a late one here. 9.30 p.m. Pacific, 12.30 a.m. Eastern Time as the first day of the tourney is starting to wrap up here. Seton Hall and Gonzaga are under 10 minutes left in the ballgame. Gonzaga currently, as I see it, is up by 10 5141, we will recap the entire day of college basketball as every game has gone final to this point, except for the game I just mentioned in Seton Hall and Gonzaga. It has been one of the craziest, if not, it hasn't been the craziest day in college basketball I can remember, but it's definitely been a highlight factor and some really good games between small teams versus big teams. We all expected this to happen. I know all the Kind of the average pundits, the you know the people who haven't been following college basketball have been saying, oh, the, the amount of losses within the top 25 has been really high, and the top 10 has been really high, and there's going to be a lot of crazy upsets this year. I wouldn't say we all expected a, a bunch of crazy upsets. I would say we all expected a bunch of really good matchups and a bunch of really good games, and that's what we've gotten. We've gotten a lot of good games. Obviously, your your high top seeds dominated the bottom seeds. But outside of that, we got a lot of great matchups. I have Jonathan Wagner on here today. Andrew Norris is not in. He's, he has been sick. He has been in the hospital. He's probably passed out in his bed. I would not blame him uh, for that one. Hopefully we get him on tomorrow night. If not, it's all good. The guy is recovering for some serious hospital time. But Jonathan Wagner is here on the air. Jonathan, you've been up since 12 p.m. Eastern time. I've been up since about 8 a.m. Pacific covering all this. It's been, it has been madness at its finest. How are you, sir? Uh, doing well, yeah. Hopefully Andrew's okay, but uh, we'll get him back on soon. But uh, yeah, but uh, uh, doing all right. Yeah, you know, I've been uh, watching tournament here pretty much from here in the East Coast around the same time p.m. on Thursday to around the same time now, a little after 12:30 a.m. on Friday. So 12:30, um, pretty much 12 o'clock till 12 o'clock. I mean, it's it's one of those things, man. That, that, this is the time of year we all live for. I mean, doesn't matter. I really. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's pro, uh, you know, college. This is the best time of year for basketball. Period. And today is the day that kicked it all off. And the first game of the day, if it wasn't a trendsetter for what was to come from the from the moderate, you know, the, the moderate, you know, in between the outside of the sixteen versus the one matchups, if this wasn't a game to set the tone for the day, 
it really was between Duke and UNC Wilmington. First of all, before I get all we get we start recapping these games, recognize that that today was one of those days where there were expected upsets, but there was definitely one that was for the record books. Uh, and, and with that, we get started. Kevin Hart, get in the building. Kevin Hart, as we always start off, he always says his thing. Here we go. Let's get it. All right, all right, all right. Gonna learn today. First game of the day, and we're just going to get into it. Duke, UNC Wilmington, obviously you covered the Colonial, Jonathan. You saw this UNC Wilmington team win the conference tournament in that one, um, and, and they put up quite a fight. And we, were t- we were tweeting back and forth watching this game, and you were telling me UNC Wilmington was playing great. I thought they were playing outstanding. In fact, they scared me late in the second half. At one point, I thought Duke was, was going to kind of uh, lose their, their momentum that they had coming out of the break. And Duke found a way to close it. But honestly, if it wasn't for the talent and Mason Plumlee really taking over the ball game, UNC Wilmington held their ground. They only lost by eight. They played a fantastic ball game, this one with Duke. But Duke ultimately got the victory 93-85. to What did you see from this one that was impactful from the standpoint of the Colonial and how UNC Wilmington played? And is this anything relative to how the Colonial looked all season? Um, yeah, I mean, you said it that, you know, Plumlee kind of just took the game over and just imposed as well in the game in the second half. And that more than anything is really what hurt Wilmington. Um, uh, other than that, they kind of survived everything else. Even the huge free throw disparity, um, Duke had 49, uh, 43 free throw attempts. Uh, Wilmington had 19. Now some of that was the whistle was a little bit in favor of Duke in the first half. There were some ticky tack fouls in the first half, not so much in the second half, um, UNCW does play that way in fairness, so it wasn't all that um, as far as the whistle going Duke's way. But UNCW fouls a lot, and that's the way they play, and they're used yeah. to playing that way, so they kind of know that. Um, I thought they'd be able to get to the line a little bit more because the other side of that is they also draw fouls a lot, and, again, they're only able to get there 19 times. So that really hurt them. Um, and then the other thing late in the game, it was 88 uh, uh, in the final stages of the game, I think it was just under a minute to go, um, and Wilmington needed a stop. Uh, looked like a clear charge. The announcers uh, said it was a clear charge. Looked like a clear charge to me uh, in the paint outside of the restricted area. Had they called the charge like it seemed like they should have, it's Wilmington ball down 388-85 with I think it was about a half minute to go. And then they're kind of setting up to look for a good shot. Maybe maybe a quick maybe a two to get it down to one or, or a three to tie it and they started hitting threes late in the second half to kind of come back and cut into that Duke lead. Instead, they're down ninety to eighty five because it was an N one free throw was missed, um, and now they're trying to get a quick two to cut it from five to three and that kind of changed everything down the stretch. So that was a bad break for Wilmington. Yeah. Uh, kind of the same thing happened last year, uh, if you recall. Uh, Northeastern was the representative out of the Colonial, yeah. and. Uh, and they had a bad call too, kind of something a little bit similar with a, with a foul call, not quite a charge, but something similar um, that went against them against Notre Dame late. That kind of hurt them late too. So I'm not, I'm not saying that's the reason Northeastern lost that, or that's the right. reason that UNCW lost today, but uh, could have been a different outcome in both of those for the CAA last year and this year. Uh, had those calls gone a little bit differently, so that was unfortunate for for those two teams uh, out of the CAA last year and this year. But yeah, it was a great game. It was an entertaining game. I thought Wellington played great in the first half. Um, they built up. They fell behind early, came back, went on a nice run, built the lead. Um, wasn't intimidated by Duke in the least. And then, no. like you said, Plumlee just imposed as well in the game in the second half. And that, to me, that was the biggest difference. And then from that point, that's where Wilmington 
was forced to kind of play uphill the rest of the way because of what Plumlee did in the second half. So um, good effort, but, uh, you know, didn't get it done. And Duke did what they needed to do. They, um, um, you know, with that short bench, I thought they were going to be in trouble with, with Wilmington's pressure and the way Wilmington can always right. come back. And they, they always fight hard no matter what deficit they're they're down. Um, but, but you know, they, Duke did what they had to do, and they survive and they move on. Well, and, and, and it wasn't just that charge call that you mentioned that really – was one it was one call in that game it was it was multiple games throughout the day where there were a lot of bad referee plays referee calls to end ball games i mean it was in the final minute where the refs just decided to puke i'm not going to lie the refs throughout these ball games have been outstanding they've let the kids play they've let them figure it out they let them go to what they you know they they've figured it they've they've let them play the game and that's what i really love about this time of year and just basketball all of basketball is the refs kind of just swallow their whistles they're a lot harder to blow them later on, which is fantastic. So knowing that, but but the fact that they kind of called these plays wrong late is what bothers me because they they decide ball games, and and that decided I wouldn't say it necessarily decided the ball game, but it definitely uh, favored Duke, and that's that's the that's the unfortunate part of that kind of game. Other games to get to, obviously, we're going down in in, in sequential order until this Gonzaga Seton Hall game ends here live on the radio. Um, but um, we have Butler and Texas Tech, a, a fascinating game. I had Texas Tech winning this ball game, uh, and, and considering Texas Tech, uh, they they were uh, considering Texas Tech was 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 in this game and the way they played. Butler they won they won seventy one to sixty one. And the frustrating part about this game is Texas Tech all year long has played this way. They played great. The next thing you know, they played horrible. The next thing you know, they play they play great. They play this, and and in this game, they just did not show up. And in this game, when they didn't show up, the, uh, the, the they, it shows. And Butler just decided to impose their will. When Butler did, you saw a team that that everyone saw that that should have maybe been ranked a little higher. They were really good early on in the season, ranked high for ranked in the top twenty five for a reason, or at least sniffed the top twenty five for a reason. And you saw it in this game against Texas Tech. And what's frustrating about Texas Tech, I picked them to win that game. Reason being is Texas Tech has played the Pac- the Big 12 very tough all season. And granted, there are games where they played horrible. But most of the time, whenever they played a big-time top opponent in the Big 12, they played them tough. And I figured if they came out and played that way against Butler, they would get it done. They didn't, and, and it showed. And Butler came out and played their basketball, fundamental, uh, uh, tough, gritty, and they got it done, and they beat Texas Tech by 10. Um, Another game real quick, UConn beat Colorado 74-67. to UConn got off to a really slow start in that one. Colorado got off to a quick one. But you saw the determination of UConn, and the scariest part about the UConn Huskies is that they have free throw shooting that is the best in the nation. Apparently they average the highest. They're, they're one of the best, if not top ten, teams in the nation when it comes to free throw shooting. So they're kind of like the, the team in baseball with the best starting rota- with, with a pretty good starting rotation. But once you get into their bullpen, good luck. Because if they can catch up, it's, uh, it's, a pretty tough, uh, it's a pretty tough stretch to go. By the way, apparently six minutes to go in the ball game. Zag is only up six now. Seton Hall's making a little bit of a comeback in this one. Uh, it's it's getting it's getting brutal there. It's getting brutal. There. The zag the zags are starting to kind of fall off a little bit in the Seton Hall. Uh, Pirates are getting it done there in that way. Uh, John, what did you see from the Butler game, te- uh, Texas Tech Butler and UConn Colorado? What did you see from those two games early on in the morning? Uh, well, Butler that was impressive. That was a tight game for a while. They just like you said, they're gritty. You know, they're, they're, even though Brad Stevens is long gone now, they're such a good program. Mm-hmm. They're so well coached still. 
Um, and they just, you know, a lot of the same things that, that a lot of the same qualities and characters, uh, a character about that team that, that, that Butler had under Brad Stevens uh, has kind of transitioned over over now. Uh, and they're not quite the same team, you know, those teams that went to those, those back-to-back championship games. I wouldn't expect that, but, but they're still a solid, solid program. They're still still a tough team, a tough out in this tournament. And I actually, you know, originally I did pick them to beat, uh, to, to beat Texas Tech today, and I had that one. And originally I thought Virginia was a weak number one seed along with Oregon maybe uh, as far as the one seeds go in this tournament. And I, I originally had Butler uh, beating Virginia, but I uh, kind of – Went back on that again, and eventually I just went went ahead with Virginia and had them losing uh, elsewhere down down the line because I thought maybe Butler would play them close but not quite take out Virginia. But it wouldn't surprise me if they did that uh, on Saturday. So so that was you know that was the, the case with Butler. Um, as far as UConn goes, that was pretty much just a, a tale of two halves. The first half, uh, I thought they were in trouble. weren't playing well at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. Second half, they just pretty much came out and and and. The same thing that 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 Plumlee did with Duke to Wilmington, uh, UConn did as a team to Colorado. It was almost like they switched jerseys at halftime because uh, yeah. you know yeah. Colorado was having their way in the first half. They had a comfortable lead at halftime. I think they're up nine. It was like 36-27, I believe. Uh, and then UConn came out 38-17 in the second half until uh, Colorado then started to make a run. It looked like UConn had the game in hand. I think it was about yeah, three yeah. minutes or so to go. They were up 13, and all of a sudden Colorado reeled off 10 in a row. It got a little nerve-wracking for UConn down the stretch, but they did yeah. what they had to do, and they move on. Yeah, it was definitely uh, it was definitely one of those games, like you said, tail of two halves. Maybe that one side of the basket in the game, because you know they switch they switch sides, they yeah, they go know. opposite ways, and they have, maybe that one maybe that one hoop just didn't work for. Uh, the game again, I don't know. But anyway, UConn got the victory, 74-67. They pulled it off, and free throw shooting for them was the crucial component of winning that one. Iona and Iowa State was the, was the fourth game of the day, and Iowa State found a way found a way to get it done. And, and, and they dominated this game for the most part over Iona. A lot of people had Iona as a favorite to, to upset in this, in this tourney. And Iowa State proved why they're so talented and why they're doing – what you know? Why they're doing what they're doing? I mean, people had Iowa State before the season as a top ten team, top five team in the nation from the standpoint of talent alone, and they obviously had inconsistencies throughout the year, and they proved it. But you saw today why this team could make a legit run at a Final Four. Not that they're going to get there. I don't think they will. But if some teams fall off and some teams don't do well, tourney, you could see a team like Iowa State finding themselves hovering in the Elite Eight, Final Four, if they play their best basketball. I've been saying this on the Hoopers log for the last couple of months now since I've been turning into to, uh, tuning into college basketball. And granted, they play an underdog, which we'll get to that in a moment, but they play an underdog in the second round. But uh, if they reel off a couple of victories where they're given an opportunity to play teams they're supposed to beat, they will win. They're a team that is very consistent when it comes to their talent. Now, when it comes to playing teams in the regular season, they've proven to be inconsistent. But when they play teams they're supposed to beat, they generally win. And when they played Iona, they, they won this ballgame. They just rattled off 94 points on a team, and they're one of the top four teams in the nation scoring the basketball. They run the ball. They get it down the court. They find ways to score. And when they get in the half-court press, they dominate you with their big men. Uh, George's Nianges or whatever his name is, that guy was absolutely dominant today. Um, they, they, just, they just ran Iona out of the gym, realistically. 94-81 to 81 was the victory for them. 
and they got it done. What'd you see in that one? Uh, what'd you see in that one there, uh, Jonathan, between Iona and Iowa State? Yeah, that was that was like you said. They like to get up and down the court. That was the perfect matchup for them because Iona likes to run, yeah. and they're not interested in playing any defense. <laughs> Iona will just like to outscore you, and they they really aren't concerned with trying to stop you. And that so that played right into Iowa State's hands. I don't think Iona really knows how to play any other way. That's pretty much been their M.O. under Tim Kluis now since he came over from uh, locally right here on Long Island, the CW Post, and became the uh, Iona coach. He's a good coach, but I don't think the emphasis is enough on defense with that program. And uh, you saw it today. Iowa State, first time I checked into it because watching some of the other games, first score I saw was about 26-13 Iowa State, and it's still 11.50 to go on the clock. And I said, well, you know, If Iona is going to be giving up 26 points a little over eight minutes in, I know they're not interested in playing defense, but that's not going to get it done in the NCAA tournament. And sure enough, they put up 81, which no. is fine, but you can't give up 94 in the NCAA tournament or you're going to find yourself knocked out quickly. And that's exactly what happened. And like you said, they might be able to go far now because the way things have opened up here for them, not that Little Rock is, and I'm sure we'll get to that game in a bit, but not that they're, yeah, they're yeah. going to be easy for them, but – I, you would think that that might play in their hands also a little bit better than uh, a bigger, tougher, physical Purdue team. So Iowa State can get out and run maybe a little bit. Little Rock does play good defense, but they're not physical. They're not big the way Purdue is. So I think Iowa State right. should get by them. Next thing you know, they're in the Sweet 16. If you look in that bracket, like I said, Virginia doesn't seem to be one of the stronger no. one seeds. So if it comes to that, you know, they could find themselves in, a, in, I think, maybe at this point in an Elite Eight, you know, with Michigan State down the road. So, um, yeah, they they can go far in this tournament now, especially the way things are set up for them. Absolutely, and that could be a big-time uh, thing for them because especially you give this Iowa State team confidence and they can find a way to play their game, the bet, which is pretty good because they have three guys who are who are potential uh, top 20 uh, picks, in, first-round picks in the in basketball coming up in the NBA, they they are absolutely loaded when it comes to talent. Um, and, and if you give them any opportunity, they're going to be a tough team to beat in this tournament the rest of the way. Uh, another game, one of, the, one of the upsets of the day, one of the bigger upsets of the day, I called it, luckily, I, I called this, I told everybody, look, Baylor did this last year. A guy, uh, a guy uh, on, I forgot his name. I forgot his name. He played for Georgia State last year. Can you remind me what his name was? Who was the guy who played for Georgia State, who was a great scorer? Um, oh, his son, uh, coach's son. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, He's on the Celtics now. I'm I can picture, I, I can picture his face. But I just can't remember the name right now. But, uh, it'll, but, we, it'll but you know who I'm talking about. Absolutely, you know yeah, who yeah. I'm talking about. Great they shooter, great, great shooter, good range. Absolutely, really good player. He's on the Celtics now. But anyway, but Baylor lost to them last year, and I said, look, Baylor is a good team. RJ Hunter, very right? talented. That, R.J. Hunter, boom, R. J. Ding, Hunter. Ding, 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 we got it. R.J. Hunter, he, he shot the ball out of the gym in that game against Baylor last year, and they found themselves in the next round. And Baylor, they've proven over the years that they have a tough time in the NCAA tournament. And last year was an example, and I felt like since they had the similar team coming in this year, they might have the same uh, idealistics, and unfortunately that was the case. Now, in this game, there was an interesting – Yale was up for a majority of the ball game, and Baylor obviously found their way back in multiple times and found a way to get it done. But Baylor ultimately, down the stretch, they, they found a way to kind of you know press, press Yale to try and come back. They found ways to get them stuck in the half court. Um, they found ways to just, to just get it done at least in this – and the one tough part, and you mentioned – 
in that game between Duke and UNC Wilmington, uh, you mentioned how uh, they had a. Uh, you mentioned how that they had that bad charge call. Well, there was a call where uh, Mason, the, the the guard who who had 31 points, by the way, Mason for Yale, 31 points, six rebounds, and four assists. A dominate performance by him. He had like what 23 points in the first half, something ridiculous. And he averaged no, no, it was like 17, 18 points in the first half, and he averages only like 17 or 18 a game. It was ridiculous. By the way, that guy was outstanding, Mason for uh, for Yale. But he got the ball underneath the hoop uh, on his side of the court in the half court with about 20 seconds to go, and he got cornered underneath the rim. And there was an, just a phantom call called on a guy where he was flailing his shoulders around, and unfortunately there was a call made where it really should have just been a perfect trap because that's what it was. And for some reason uh, the refs felt like they needed to blow a whistle, and it gave Yale a chance to, to come down and shoot free throws and extend the ball game and keep the lead. Now, if, if Baylor would have got the ball back, it would have changed the whole scenario. Who knows? Baylor hits a shot. They get some momentum. They take the lead or they, or they at least tie it. And then, obviously, Yale's got to come down and shoot free throws, and Baylor's got to come down and change it. It changes the whole complexity of the ball game, and the refs kind of blew it late there with that one call. But nonetheless, you've got to give Yale credit. They out-rebounded Baylor, which is unheard of. Baylor is an outstanding rebounding ball club. At one point, I believe, it was 27 – or no – Overall rebounds, I guess offense and defense, I'm looking at defensive rebounds, 35 rebounds for Yale and 30 rebounds for Baylor. That's not supposed to happen. An Ivy League school where guys actually go to school and learn to try and actually get real jobs, those guys came out and out-rebounded a Big 12 school where that's all they do in the gym and that's all they do in their off time. In fact, at Big 12 schools, I can guarantee you they probably have PE classes where they learn how to rebound. That's literally what they do. And these guys out-rebounded them. They outsmarted them. I mean, no, no pun there. But realistically, they just, absolutely de- they just absolutely destroyed them on the boards the entire game. That's how you beat a team in college basketball when you're an underdog. You out-rebound them. You out-fundamental them. You make your free throws, 22-29 from the free throw line. You get to the rim. You try to attack the rim and get to the best you can. You shoot well from the field. You, you pass the ball around. You get rebounds. That's how you beat teams in college basketball. And what Yale did to upset Baylor isn't exactly what I expected. I expected them to win from the standpoint of, look, they're an Ivy League school and it's Baylor. If it wasn't Baylor, I would not have picked Yale to win. But Yale and Baylor is just known to do this in the tournament. And they found a way to pull it out in the final minute. I was shocked at how well they, they found ways to at least execute down the stretch to get it done. And you've got to give them credit where credit is due. What did you see from that one there, uh, Jonathan Wagner, in the Yale-Baylor game? Yeah, a couple things with that one that worked to Yale's advantage. I think one being where the game was helped uh, Yale out a lot because uh, yeah. having to go to Providence for you know nearby, not not too far, not a, you know pretty short trip for them, and Baylor having to come all the way across country from Texas all the way to Providence. Uh, it's a long trip. It's an early start for them, uh, you know, at you know Texas time. So uh, I thought all that played in the, into into Yale's hands, and then we saw too with the crowd. You know, a game like that where you get the underdog yeah. Yale, the 12th seed, and Bell is a 5 seed from the big conference, and Yale's an Ivy League school. What happens is if they stick around for a while as you get into the second half and they have that nine-point lead about midway through that they had, and, and Bell, even if Baylor starts to come back a little bit like they did, um, the crowd, if there's any neutral kind of part of the crowd, all of a sudden they're going to start to become uh, Yale fans. I remember that one time. Uh, it was actually, uh, I believe it was when uh, Tayshawn Prince played for Kentucky, and uh, the tournament was here back in, we're going back a while now, in 2001. I saw a Kentucky <laughs> two-seed 
Holy Cross was the 15 seed, right? And and Holy Cross had hung in there. Kentucky ultimately won the game, but Holy Cross was hanging in there as a 15 against Kentucky the two, and they were just sticking around, sticking around throughout the second half. And all the fans who didn't care at Nassau Coliseum here in Long Island, all of a sudden, all the neutral fans that had no rooting interest whatsoever, all of a sudden started to root for the underdog, and all of a sudden it became like a home game for Holy Cross. So I think I, I you know I, don't, yeah. I can't tell how it was. It didn't really come through the TV through the TV that much. Uh, but, you know, I, I can only imagine in Providence it might have been that to a degree on, on Yale's side. So that probably helped him more for one thing. And the second thing was, and this is even a bigger factor, was chemistry. Not that Yale's not talented because they are. Uh, and, and the Ivy League, I think, you know, Yale showed and Harvard showed it before in this tournament, that the Ivy League is probably a little more talented than people probably give them credit for. But And Yale is talented, but I think chemistry played a big role. And if you ever saw how how important chemistry is, maybe even over talent, it was this game. Because you had guys fighting with each other, uh, uh, bickering on the sidelines. Two guys went face-to-face. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, and for a while it looked like, they're, you know, they're, they're going to come from blows for a while. And, and Baylor just, their chemistry was just awful. Everything, the way yeah. Yale was, the way they were clicking, the way their chemistry was sound and working as a unit, on, on offense and defense and working together, everything that they were is what Ballard wasn't until they looked up yes. at the clock and said, hey, we got to get going here. And then finally they started to do that. But by then it was a little bit too late. And, and it shows you sometimes you get into these tournaments like this and the one and done, you can overcome the talent deficiency that you might have against a, a better team or higher seed just because your chemistry is a little bit better. That's not always the case in some of these upsets, but I think in this game – it was showing a little bit more with the Allen Beller. Yeah, and the interesting part about that game between Yale and Baylor, and you mentioned it, the chemistry. Look, I, I look. I've usually, I mean, we we're going to talk about it in a second with a big upset today. But in these upset games, when teams are lower seated and for for major reasons, obviously they're not in major tournaments. But when they're usually up with about a minute and a half to go, there's one of two things that happens. Generally not one of three, which I'm going to give you the third thing in a second, but one of two things happen. They either get too nervous or they get too hyped. So they get really excited and they kind of lose concentration from that perspective or they get, or they get nervous and they start fumbling the ball or they get too hyped and fumble the ball. One of the other, they, they start losing kind of that edge that they had throughout the game because they're leading. And, yes, the crowd will usually generally get behind them because they're the underdog. But they also get nervous or something happens where they, they, they lose that time. Yale? throughout the entire final three minutes of this game, had their composure on lock. And that's the thing Baylor, like you just said, did not have. Baylor did not have any composure, at least in the, at least in the final ten minutes, until, like you said, they looked up at the clock and said, oh, we can make a run at it and we can actually get back in this ball game." And they did. They went on a quick run to catch up and found a way to, to get near, near Yale and ultimately almost took the lead at one point and, and almost won the game, really. Um, but Yale kept their composure, and I think ultimately what, what young basketball players and what players are doing who wants to, want to do when it comes to being successful in the sport of basketball, watch the composure of Yale. Watch the composure of that Mason kid for Yale who scored 31 points in that one. His composure was like, we're not here to, you know, we're not here to just win one game. We're here to win. And we're here to do it in a convincing, at least to our best of our capability. And granted, that might do to a little something to these kids going to Yale and being, you know, that Ivy League mentality of just being intelligent in general. But on top of that, Yale really had the composure of a true 
winner and a champion in this game. They just didn't, they didn't let up. They didn't, they didn't give away their secrets. They didn't do anything. They just did all they could to win the ball game. And they, and they did it in a very convincing fashion from the standpoint of their composure. And that's, and that's a big thing for underdogs to take on and, and to look forward to in the future. Watch that Yale team in the final three minutes. It's very impressive how they compose themselves. Uh, we'll just go over the number one games real quick, number ones versus number 16, um, before we get to, the obviously, the story of the day. Virginia beat Hampton 81 to 45. Kansas destroyed Austin PA 105 to 79. And and this was a close game up until the final 10 12 minutes of the ball game. UNC beat Florida Gulf Coast 83 to 67. Give Florida Gulf Coast some credit. They found a way to keep it close in this ball game. They trust me, the storyline from about 3 years ago when this team got to the uh, got to the Sweet 16 was unbelievable. No one would deny the fact that they could hang with UNC at least for a portion of the game, but you knew UNC was going to push pull away just based upon their talent. But Florida Gulf Coast made it interesting. They did. They made it fascinating to watch. They made it fascinating to see, you know, could the 16 beat the one? Could it happen? You know, eventually UNC pulled away, but it was one of those games where you saw it close, but UNC ultimately won 83-67. to 67. What did you see from those three games, one versus 16 there, uh, Jonathan, as you saw Kansas and, and, and UNC and Virginia take care of business today? Yeah, Virginia and Kansas are pretty much the uh, same kind of thing, you know. Uh, well, I guess it's similar because Virginia actually from the very start, Hampton kind of hung with them for a little bit, maybe a quarter of the game, maybe a little bit longer. But uh, then Virginia just went on a big run to, to close out the half from there and just completely pull away a tight game. And, and, and then it was just no looking back from there. So they took care of business there, as, as you'd expect. Um, and then, you know, Kansas, pretty much the same thing. You know, Austin P kind of hung with them for, for a good portion of the first half, but then Kansas, same thing. They kind of pulled away by halftime and then second half. So those two games pretty much went the same way, as you'd expect. Um, the only thing that maybe surprised me a little bit there was how much Kansas scored. <laughs> Not that they would win by so much, but, but hanging 105. The only team, I believe, uh, just checking the bracket here, yeah, because Indiana had 99. Uh, only team to reach the uh, three-digit mark so far in this tournament was Kansas with, with 105, the top overall seed. And then, um, you know, like you said, FGCU, that was a bit of a different game because FGCU was the better team in the first half. They, they were they were definitely yes. the better team. Um, they outplayed Carolina in the first half. Um, I think they made Roy Williams and Carolina a little bit nervous in the, in, in the first half yeah. and a half. I mean, you knew the run. Yeah. You, I mean, you knew the run was coming. You knew it was coming, and eventually right. it did. And and a close game, very close game, with with FDCU hanging on to a slim lead at the end of the first half, uh, eventually turned into a twenty point Carolina lead, and they just coasted from there. Uh, but yeah, like like you said, give them credit. This was no ordinary sixteen seed. You know, they the playing game. They had a very easy win, a thirty one point victory, where they're clearly the better team. And uh, as far as 16 seeds go, you know, I, I think what you see that's different today in a game like that versus past years, maybe, you know, watching this tournament, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago for the most part is I think some of the lower seeds, when you get a 16 seed against a one seed, you'd look at that name, North Carolina, across the chest on the, and they'd be intimidated. And you would see it. And you would see them make mistakes maybe that they wouldn't normally make in their own conference tournaments. But, Florida Gulf Coast, Gulf Coast did not feel any bit of intimidation no. or didn't show any inti- bit of intimidation right, right from the start. They came out and said, look, 
we're here to play. We belong in this court with North Carolina, and we're going to show it at least for a half. And, and then in the, in the end, you know, it was just too much uh, Bryce Johnson. I believe he had eight blocks at one point. I don't know what he finished with, but, um, yeah. you know, every time FTC went to the yeah. hoop, he would swat it away. And their, their athletes just took over, and, and that was the difference. Yeah. But, you know, give FTC a lot of credit. Now North Carolina will play Providence, and that's interesting because I think it was two years ago when they played Providence. Chris Dunn did not play in that game. Uh, obviously different teams now, but Chris Dunn did not play in that game, and Carolina barely pulled it out by two. And that was a very competitive game, a good game. And I, I expect Providence maybe coming off this emotional last-second win here against USC in the 8-9 game uh, as, as three of the nine seeds actually beat the eight seeds so far in this tournament with one more to go tomorrow, St. Joe's and Cincinnati, um, to try and make it a sweep if Cincinnati can get that for the nine seeds. Uh, I would expect Providence to give Carolina a bit of a run, and Carolina's going to have to play well. I expect them to win the game, but they're going to have to play well to be Providence, and uh, that should be interesting. What's fascinating is, and, and, as, and as we're talking, Seton Hall and Gonzaga has gone fi- final. Gonzaga wins 68-52. We'll break that game down here later. Um, what's interesting about Florida Gulf Coast, too, and, and, and statistically, they have, they're have 3-2 and two all time in the NCAA tournament. I mean, two yeah. of their losses, one was in the Sweet 16, and now obviously they've lost to Florida Gulf Coast. One of those wins was obviously a playing game. Uh, yeah, well, past, to me that that days. shouldn't count though. <laughs> to to right. me those those uh, games yeah. those those games. Should, I mean, because if if you ask Austin P, if you ask Austin P and say, hey, look, Florida Gulf Coast, Gulf Coast, look who they had to beat to get a tournament win this year. Look who we had to beat to try and get a tournament win in Kansas. That's completely yeah. unfair. I mean, first Absolutely. of all, I, let, let, let me just get your take on this because real quick, I, I just sure. I just gotta I just gotta hear your opinion on this because this this is something that drives me yeah, crazy. Yeah. So. <laughs> The 16 seeds are automatic qualifiers, correct? No matter how right, bad right. you are, whether you're holy crossed, even if you went 5-13 and 13 in your league and you're 10-19 you're and, and then you won four straight and you enter the tournament 14-19, and 19, you're an automatic qualifier. And you should be a 16 seed and play a one seed, right? Even if you have to switch other things around to make it all work and you bump other teams up and down a seed, the teams that should be – in the playing games should be the last eight bubble teams playing for either the four eleven seeds or four or four twelve seeds. You agree? Right. Yeah. No. And I no look. And and this has been a thing. And especially now with especially now with the way college basketball is now today, it's it's even more imperative. Look, if you would have asked me twenty years ago, if I was only six years old, five years old, twenty years ago. But if you would have asked me when I first got into sports, when I was like. 12, 15 years old, and I knew about this stuff, and I kind of had an idea. I would have told you, no, I, I, I think I think it should be 16 seeds only, only at that time. From the standpoint of look, you know, number one seeds are pretty obvious. No one really cares about them. Back then, when I was 10 years ago, there was only two playing games, so it was whatever. But anyway, the point is, is you know, I agree with you. With the bubble that that they have now, there should be obviously the 32 at large. But then what they, should, what they should have is they should have the bubble teams like, you know, uh, uh, St. Bonaventure or Syr- and Syracuse play one another in a playing game. I feel like that would be correct. I feel like if you had a team like, like they had with uh, Vanderbilt and uh, Wichita State, obviously Michigan and, and Tulsa, and, and then maybe somewhere else with 11. I agree with you. I, I think that it's a joke that this is the circumstance that they have 16 seeds playing one another just to play a one seed. What's the point? One seeds are 120 and 0 all time, and, and since the bracket became its uh, 64 field in the last 30 years. No one's ever won a one seed. So what's the point of having a playing game? It means nothing. No one's going to watch it. Anyone who does watch it is only a fan of those teams. 
No one else outside of that is going to care about those games. So why have them on TV? Why make them a television uh, market and, and, and television game to have even produced? I think it's a joke. I think it's a joke to have the 16 seed uh, even have a it playing game. And then, and then on top of it, to count it as an all-time win in the tournament. Right. No one cares. No one's picking that game in their bracket. No one is picking a playing game in their bracket. I filled out my bracket yesterday Yesterday morning. I didn't even care about the Michigan-Tulsa game. because I, I still picked Notre Dame to win. I don't know who's going to win that game, Michigan and Notre Dame. That's a fantastic rivalry, by the way. But that is that, yeah. I, 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 still think, I still think Notre Dame's going to win. And, I, and, I, and, 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 and even the team, Holy Cross, who's playing uh, – who's the other number one seed? Oregon, right? They're playing Oregon tomorrow. I still think Oregon's going to win. It doesn't, it, it doesn't matter. Oregon should win by 20. It, they should. Now, will they? I don't think so. They'll probably win by 15, but it doesn't matter. They're still going to dominate, and, it, and no one's going to really watch that game. Those are going to watch are people from Oregon who are literally 200 miles south of where I'm sitting. No, one's gonna, no one cares about that game other than people from Oregon and Holy Cross because they're excited because they're in the tourney. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. So, yeah, and I agree with you from that perspective. It's, it's a joke that they have these playing games for 16 seeds because they shouldn't count for records. They shouldn't count for anything. They, they, they shouldn't. They're just, they're just teams that are automatic qualifiers. They're small schools, and they're small schools for where they're at. Um, and, yeah, being, and then the other thing, well, the, other, the other thing too is, uh, why even have them in Dayton too? Do they have to play those games in Dayton? Why can't you just play those teams, those games? If they're going to be, so so so, uh, let's see. Holy Cross got shipped off to where they're going to go to Spokane, right? So they got to go from the East Coast, halfway across the country, make a stop in Dayton, play that game, and then continue across the rest of the country and go out to Spokane now to play Oregon. Why can't you just send them from Holy Cross? out to Spokane, play the playing game there, and just whoever because whoever wins is going to end up playing Oregon regardless, right? So right. And, 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 right. You know, so, and just now do that with the 11 and 12 seeds. Like we said, the 16 seeds are auto qualifiers. They should automatically get the one seeds. And if you have to switch other things around, make other 15 or 14 and so on, you know, switch it around to make it all work. So you'll leave those four 11 or 12 spots open for the last eight bubble teams. Wherever they would end up, if they win, like Michigan, for instance, Michigan uh, beat Tulsa, so now they go on to Brooklyn. So now instead of sending Michigan yeah. to Dayton and then beating Tulsa and then sending them on to Brooklyn to play Notre Dame, why can't Michigan and Tulsa just play that game in Brooklyn and the winner just stay there to play Notre Dame? Yeah. Well, that's yeah, how I would no, do it. It's, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's common sense. I feel like it's all common sense, and it's all just it's, – it's just – it's the playing game situation definitely needs to be fixed in college basketball. I'm not opposed to even changing it. I, I think – to be honest, and I've, and I've said it, and I know they will never do it, and they should never do it. I think the tournament is perfect the way it is, but this is one of those years where they could have extended this to a, you know, they could have had at least, they could have had eight playing games this year, and I don't think anyone would have been upset because that is how many teams, parity-wise, could have gotten into the tournament this year. I mean, there were four or five teams sitting out that didn't get in because, let's just be honest, there's not enough spots. I mean, there's teams that could get into this tournament and compete at a high level and play with some of these teams. But it's just there's so much parity in college basketball that we can't fit them all in. But you could have had eight playing games, and I don't think anyone would have been been upset at that because that is how many teams could have been in the tournament this year. You could have added at least maybe five, five more teams, three more teams, four more teams in this field, and I don't think anyone would have been opposed who knows the game of basketball because St. Bonaventure could have been in this tournament and they could have competed with a four seed, and they probably could have won depending upon the matchup. I mean, that's how good they are. They're not great. They're not amazing, but they're a really, really good small program school. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of that going on, and I agree with you from the standpoint of, look, these playing games need to be fixed, but on the whole, from the standpoint of the tournament, 
pretty good seating in what the committee did. And I know there's some issues overall with the committee, but outside of that, uh, pretty pretty good job. Let's move on to the game of the day, which I think we all agree it was not just the game of the day, upset of the day, all that. I mean, I did not have this. I don't. I didn't. This was one of those games I really didn't see coming. I, it wouldn't have shocked. It didn't really shock me. Little Rock did what they did over Purdue, winning 85-83 in double overtime, 12 over a five. Look, 12 over five is not uncommon. It happens every year. It's proven to happen every year. It's always bound to happen. Obviously, Yale did it earlier. But Little Rock did it over Purdue. And the way they did it was fantastic. It was Look, I'm telling you, if you didn't if you didn't catch this game, I, I pity you and I'm sorry. I feel bad. Seriously, if you if you at least uh, uh, recorded it, please rewatch it. It was un, it was it was it was what defined basketball. Really, this is what defined what defines March Madness. Really, the little team, and and I mean little. A guy in Josh Haggins, yes, 31 points, six assists. Seven rebounds. The guy looks like he's like a gnat on the basketball. Muggy, Muggsy Bowes and Josh Haggins look like the same player. Like, they look like they're five feet tall. Like, they're, they look tiny. Josh Haggins is probably like five to six. But he's a tiny little player, and he came out, and he played some really smart, fundamental basketball. And, and obviously, that shot he made to tie the ball game at the end of regular. Oh, my God. He shot a Steph Curry shot from the logo 30 feet out. And it was nothing but Drano to tie the ball game to go to overtime. And Purdue had gone on a little bit of a run late in the game. That Arkansas looked really good early, you know, early early when it comes to the standpoint of, you know, uh, midway through the fourth quarter. They were looking good. They were looking like a team that was ready to go. And then Purdue went on that run that we all know about when it comes to power teams. And then Arkansas Little Rock, they, they got, went into this one-man zone type deal where they put, uh, they put Josh Haggins inside to, to guard everybody, pretty much run around and play. And, tell, and every time Purdue ran their switches and ran their, ran their plays uh, inside the paint, you saw this team run a really, really intelligent, uh, smart type of defense that I don't think very many teams could adjust to if they had never seen it before. It was unbelievable how intelligent Little Rock looked on defense to at least, at least stagger uh, Purdue enough to get the ball back and, and stay competitive offensively. And every time Little Rock then came back down the court, whenever they, unless they were making a crazy shot from 30 feet out, they were putting, they were putting plays together and getting the bounces necessary. Look, and, and it really was. They were getting the bounces necessary to stay in this ball game. But that's the beauty of March Madness, the bounces, the extra possessions, the effort, the, the possessions, the, the plays, the defense. That was all that happened in this game, and that was the reason Arkansas Little Rock won. They got the bounces, they got the shots that fell, they got the, they they played smart enough, they played fundamental on offense. Their defense was fantastic late in the game, and they did everything they could to counteract the 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 athleticism of Purdue. Which, let's be honest, a very lengthy, long range team, a team that when they're in it, they can win. They also challenged some of Purdue's players, some of their really good players on the perimeter, to shoot threes. There were multiple times that guys got the ball on the perimeter who were not outside worthy. They just stood 10 feet back and were like, shoot it, do it. And they, and they allowed that to happen, and they gave them the chance to try and shoot themselves in the foot. And Purdue, being as conservative as they were, did not take those opportunities to at least go inside a little bit and take a pull-up jumper. They didn't. They just tried to run their offense, and when they saw something they weren't used to, they got scared. That's how Arkansas Little Rock won. They were confident. They played great basketball, and they found a way to get it done. 85-83 to in double overtime. Josh Haggins, we do this thing here on the show, uh, Jonathan, where we call this thing called wipe-forward performances, where if they average out to 50 points, 
Josh Higgins at 31 points. Assists count as two points per assist because obviously if you pass the ball and they score, it's two points. It's not three, but we always count it as two. That's 12 for assists, so that's 43. And then seven rebounds, you add the seven, that's 50. That's a whiteboard performance, and Josh Higgins had it, and he definitely had, in my book, the breakthrough performance of the day in college basketball, no debate. This guy, I was sitting there thinking, this reminds me. Like, I started getting all these thoughts in my head when he made that shot and when he kept playing, when I kept watching him on defense, when I kept seeing – I kept thinking of Steph Curry. I kept thinking of R.J. Hunter that we just talked about. I kept thinking of guys, you know, guys from George Mason. I kept thinking of all these little guys, you know, Teague from, from Georgia Tech from back in the day when they got blown up by UConn in the championship. I kept thinking of all these guys, Kemba Walker. I kept thinking of all these legendary individual players that played on really good, you know, deep, deep, decent, underdog, great teams. I was like, this is the guy. We're going to remember this guy from years to come and his performance in this game against Purdue because it was absolutely magical. What did you see from this game between Arkansas, Little Rock, and Purdue today? Yeah, I mean, it, it was tremendous, especially the, the left baseline jumper in overtime where I, he was falling backwards. It was a tough angle. I did not think he was going to hit it as good, as good as he was shooting, and somehow that one just went in. And when that went in, I knew it was it was Arkansas Little Rock's day because uh, I just it, that shot went in. I said, "Okay, Purdue's done. <laughs> They're not going to come back." Because I think it put them up four late, and Purdue still had a chance. But uh, see, the yeah. thing with this though is, I thought as good as Arkansas Little Rock was, and as great as Josh Higgins was, I think Purdue lost this game more than Arkansas Little yes. Rock won it. You look at it, you know, yeah. typical twelve five games we've seen over the years is, is a lot of those upsets, right? And and we see a game like Yale, Yale and Baylor. A lot of people, and I, I took Yale, I think we both took Yale right in our brackets, and, and we had that one right. But a lot yeah. of people took Baylor and, you know, couldn't fault them for taking Baylor. It was, you know, it seemed like they're a good team, good pick. They should win the game. Um, yeah. But, you know, in a, game, in a game like that, you could understand taking the five seed, and, and, and then the five seed just doesn't play well and has outplayed most of the game, and, and, and it was a bad pick. And you say, okay, well, you know, I just guessed wrong on that one. This wasn't that case. Yeah. Purdue had this game won. For 36 minutes, they led 63-49. They're up 14 yeah. points with four minutes to go. Over 36 minutes, Purdue did exactly what you'd expect them to do. They held Arkansas right. Little Rock under 50 points with good physical, tough defense. Held them under 50, had a 14-point lead, 63-49 with four minutes to go. And from that point, over the last 14 minutes, the four minutes in regulation plus the 10 minutes and two overtimes, it was 36-20, Arkansas Little Rock. So they score, they're outscored wow. 63-49 over the first 36. They're out, they outscore them 36-20 over the last 14. To me, that had everything wow. to do with – now it goes both ways. It had everything to do with yeah. Purdue thinking the game was over and they stopped playing. And then Arkansas Little Rock, to their credit, not thinking the game was over and saying, we're going to keep coming. You're going to have to put us away. Because if you're going to stop playing, we're going to keep coming, and, and, and you're going to have to really put us away. And if you don't, we're going to steal this game from you, and that's exactly what Arkansas Little Rock did. Eight, eight, 18 turnovers for Purdue. That, that, look, tur- six turnovers for Arkansas Little Rock. Look, all the things we can talk about the small teams today, all the small teams who kept close in these games, like UNC Wilmington, for example. Uh, Texas, well, they're not really a small team. But, but UNC Wilmington did it. Yale did it because they won. Uh, Arkansas, Little Rock, uh, other teams like Buffalo, Florida Gulf Coast, they didn't have a ton of turnovers. And if they had turnovers, they were based upon athletic plays alone. Arkansas, Little Rock had six turnovers in a 50-minute ball game. Think about that. Six. Six in a 50-minute ball. That's, that's what's going to win your ball game. 
13 steals to two against Purdue. That's, that is how right there you're going to win ballgames. Purdue had seven blocks, but that's because they're a big, lengthy team already, and Arkansas Little Rock had none. But seven, And you said it yourself. Purdue shot themselves in the foot. They had 51 rebounds to 41. They, they out-rebounded Arkansas Little Rock the way they should. They outshot them 41% or 42% to 39%. They outshot they shot the same from three. Free throws, they got to the line the same amount. They shot free throws better. They had more assists. They were the better team. They were, and you said it. They were up by like 14, 15 points at one point midway through the fourth. Arkansas Little Rock, like you said, they just found a way to keep being gritty, to not turn the ball over. They found ways to, to stay in it and to stay active. They put themselves on a little run to keep themselves in it, and then they found a way to play fundamental defense to keep themselves. They switched it up on Purdue, where, like you said, Purdue kind of stopped playing, kind of stopped. I wouldn't say caring, but they kind of stopped. They thought they had it in the bag. And Arkansas Little Rock put themselves on an offensive uh, roll on top of switching the defense to make it look to, to really kind of screw up Purdue. Because the thing is, is like if you're a small team and you're going to put together a run the way they did, you can do that on offense. You can. It's the defense that you have to start understanding where it came from. And like you said, yeah. Purdue maybe played a little bit lackadaisical, but that lack of that lackadaisical play also kind of hampered when it came to. Arkansas Little Rock changing to a one-man zone. They didn't play the one-man zone the whole game. They played it. They played it that final five, eight minutes of the ball game when they put their offensive role on a line. When they called timeout a couple times there, they just stayed with that defense and they found a way to really kind of outthink Purdue. And that's really where Purdue found ways to just fall off and not play their brand of basketball, which was dominating the ball on the outside of the perimeter and get their offense going. They they couldn't do that because they couldn't find anything inside to get things going because. Little, little Josh Haggins was running around on the inside playing like a gnat trying to get guys off balance, and he was. And it was, it was putting Purdue in a fear-based offense, which was not going to work, and it proved so as they, as they were outscored 18-6. I mean, excuse me, out-turnovers-wise, Purdue had 18-6. to six. That's, You're not going to win ballgames doing that. And, 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 and to Arkansas Little Rock's credit, they, they hung in there, they found ways to keep it close, and they ultimately got it done. And like you said, a couple of tough shots from Arkansas Little Rock. And I'm telling you, really, the ball bounced their way on that missed three-pointer where in reality, yeah. uh, when, when, he, when he got the rebound and shot it from three, it wasn't, it wasn't a three. His foot was on the line, by the way. Um, but, but, it, but they counted it as a three. Some fluky things happened, and it went their way. But that's the greatness of March Madness. And if you want to get the essence of March Madness, watch the final – 10 minutes of this ball game and you'll understand why the why this is the best time of year in sports. Anything else about this game before we move on? Well, I just as you said, you know, I, I wasn't aware actually of that turnover uh, ratio, which is really it, it underscores what we've been saying before. You talked about Yale, the Ivy League team against the Big 12 team, uh, you know, showing composure, showing poise. We talked about even even Florida Gulf Coast in the first half. Uh, maybe you know the athletes finally wearing them down on on Carolina in the second half, but but not being intimidated, showing poise, showing composure. It was actually Carolina turning the ball over and being pressured and getting sloppy in the first half, which you wouldn't expect. And then in this game too, you got Little Rock out of the Sun Belt, you know, going against the the, the team out of the Big Ten, Purdue, and and you expect the big teams, Purdue, North Carolina, uh, Baylor. You'd expect those teams to be the teams that would be composed and you expect Little Rock, you expect Yale, you expect FCCU to be the teams that are rattled. And it's the other way around in a lot of these cases. If not for the whole game, at least good portions of the game, 
Uh, and even if it's not in a win like a FGC use case, at least it is in a case like Yale and Little Rock, where to the point where they're so composed, they actually get they actually get the win, even when Baylor and and Purdue, uh, either Purdue has a big lead or Baylor's making a big charge at the end. And we've seen it sometimes a team like like Yale today would be would build up a lead and then they would just cough it up late and they'd come, you know, just short of, of, of pulling off the upset because they, they get rattled. You know, they're not the team that you would expect to be composed and then it plays out that way. We don't see that anymore. You'd expect Purdue to have the six turnovers. You expect Little Rock to have the eighteen turnovers and to have to overcome that to somehow pull off the upset. But we don't see that. We see Little Rock with only six turnovers in a game like this coming out of the Sun Belt and, and as a twelve seed against Purdue, the five seed, and they're the ones who are rattled with the 18 turnovers. So to me, that's, you know, it, it's kind of different than, than maybe the way it used to be, where some of these smaller schools from smaller conferences are the ones that are actually, in crunch time, the team, and, and really from much of the game, are the ones that are actually the ones who are composed and, 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 and poised, and it's actually the other teams who, who are the bigger teams who expect to be that way actually get rattled and maybe get a little bit tight because, you know, you got nothing to lose. You're a 12 seed, 13 seed. You're going against a four seed, five seed. And you know, when you're supposed to win these games, you you get you get rattled, and maybe that's why you get numbers like that, like that that 18 to six uh, turnover ratio in favor of Lutra. Yeah, it was a fascinating uh, fascinating game. Obviously, a game that really defines what we talk about when it comes to the madness of March. Other games: Miami of Florida. And we just mentioned it. Small schools competing. Miami of Florida. Just edging over Buffalo, 79-72. Buffalo playing really tough in this one. Again, a small turnover ratio. Buffalo had 10 turnovers, but it was mostly in the first 15, uh, excuse me, 35, 30 minutes of the ball game where Buffalo found a way to keep themselves composed. It was just that late run that Miami got on, and they got the victory, 79-72. What do you see from this one, uh, Jonathan? I didn't watch this game at all. Uh, I, you know, Buffalo came out in the first half. They were very competitive, hung around for a while. Miami started to pull away. Uh, as this, It was very close at halftime. I think it was 35-33, two-point game at the half. So Buffalo played a good, solid first half there, stayed in the ball game, had the, had a lead early. Uh, you know, it's one of those teams that people don't know a lot about. So people looked at it on the bracket, oh, 3-14, it's Buffalo. I don't know anything about them. Advanced right. Miami. And, it you know, it wasn't really like that because, you know, Buffalo put up a good fight. You know, they played a good conference or a good program. They, they've always – been battling for for MAC uh, championships as the MAC with the one A, <laughs> Mid American, uh, <laughs> in, in, in recent years, and uh, you know and, and they've been a good program in that conference for years, and uh, you know they won it this year as a three seed out of that conference, uh, and they gave Miami pretty much all they can handle for a good portion of the game. Now Miami started to pull away in the second half, and then you thought it was over. Then Buffalo came back again, and they got within about yeah. about seventy sixty four late, and I think they got it down to as little as five late. I mean, even four, and uh, Miami eventually just closed it out, but not by much, only by seven, seventy-nine, seventy-two, which for a three-fourteen game really isn't that much. You know, Miami did what they had to do; they move on. But you know, credit Buffalo for putting up a good fight. Yeah, they definitely found a way to keep it close in that one. Uh, other games, there were some big blowouts uh, in the. I'd say in the later portion of the day, middle, late portion of the day, when the when kind of the tides turned for a little bit of a break in the college basketball world because they obviously have kind of like a little bit of an hour stretch where they take a break. Indiana beat Chattanooga 99-74, obviously dominating there. Utah beat uh, Fresno State 80-69. to Also, Kentucky destroyed Stony Brook. I was a little shocked that Kentucky dominating Stony Brook the way they did. They beat them by darn near 30 points, 85-57. I was shocked with that. Stony Brook dominated their conference regular season and 
in the uh, in the tournament in in the tournament. Uh, they dominated their they dominated their conference in their tournament, and then obviously in the regular season. So I expected that game to be a little bit closer than I thought. But as we as we've seen from Coach Calipari and his team, even when they're not as great in the regular season early on, there's something that clicks, and Coach Calipari always finds a way to get his team clicking. I remember it was two or three years ago. This Kentucky team was not 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 the not the 2012 team, not not last year's team. It was I think it was the year before the 2012 team. The team was not as talented as you know years or the years that were coming. Um, they weren't the, the one and done you know Anthony Davis team. That wasn't the team. But the 2011 team, the year Kemba Walker won the championship, that team was not expected to go to the Final Four, and they darn near won the whole thing. And they were not expected to go that far, but they, they improved throughout the year. And they got to a point where ultimately when they got to the, when they got to the attorney, they turned it on and got really far. And that's kind of how I see this team this year. This year, obviously coming off of last year where they darn near went undefeated all the way through the, 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 the NCAA tournament and almost won and went 40-0. and They couldn't quite do it. They lost in the Final Four. Um, but when they got to – when they got to this tournament after winning the SEC tournament and how they just beat Stony Brook, it goes to show you that Kentucky really is on a mission to just absolutely – I have a weird feeling Kentucky might come out of that East seed as the Final Four, as the final four team. Look, the East bracket, for those of you that don't know, look, the East bracket has four teams that could come out as Final Four favorites, West Virginia, Kentucky, uh, uh, UNC and Xavier. All four of those teams could be, end up in the Final Four. It could easily happen. And, and if they all, if any of them make it, I would not be shocked. I have UNC personally, but that's because I'm going with chalk. I, I, I don't know. I could see West Virginia's press finding a way to screw up Xavier. I could see, I could see Kentucky with their maturity beating UNC. I right now, I could see that, and, and, and it's, it's it's up in the air. And how they beat Stony Brook really makes it more uncomfortable for me picking UNC because now I almost want to pick Kentucky if they do make it to the Elite Eight or the Sweet 16 and they play UNC because that's how it's looking. It's looking like Kentucky and UNC are going to make it. And I'm nervous, man. I'm nervous watching Kentucky and how they're playing because they might find themselves winding up in the Final Four once again. What did you see from these three games, Indiana, Chattanooga, Utah, getting their win, and then Kentucky beating Stony Brook? Uh, the, the Kentucky-Stony Brook game didn't really surprise me. I was at the uh, the title game for the America East on Saturday, and uh, it was great to see uh, Stony Brook, you know, fifth championship game in six years in the America East, and they right. hadn't won it yet. So yeah. for them to finally get it done was a great moment for them. But the reason they got it done was all because of Jamil Warney. I mean, they they won. They were down 15 in the second half. Vermont was in control. I thought the game was over at that point. Vermont was shooting 59%, Stony Brook 33%. And that's yep. part of Stony Brook's problem. You saw it, especially against a defense like Kentucky, with that type of length, uh, they made made it so, so difficult. Stony Brook started 3 for 27. I think they were 7 for 37 at halftime. So in that game against Vermont, the A title game, uh, Warney had a career high and uh, he uh, tied Taylor, if you remember Taylor Coppenrath uh, from Vermont, that was yes. that team uh, with, with Sarkeen yeah. that knocked off Syracuse. He had 43. That was the, that was the championship game record for the American East, and uh, Warney had, had tied that on Saturday. But he had 43. Uh, uh, Carson Pure for the point guard, uh, first team uh, player in that conference, had 23. Other than that, they had two guys with six and one guy with two, and they won the championship game. So I didn't really expect much on, on offense. If they did that against Vermont, you know, I, I didn't expect didn't expect much against Kentucky. It was pretty much the same kind of thing. They they just couldn't score. I mean, Warney had a good game, which I expected. Uh, it was probably the least 
impactful 23 and 15 game in NCAA tournament history because he put up great numbers. 23 and 15, but they lose 85-57. So just nobody else could hit a shot. They already struggle to 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 shoot and score anyway. And with you know leaving it up to Warney against Kentucky is, is just the recipe for disaster. Eventually, Kentucky didn't shoot well either. Uh, they started six no. for 22. I think they were only shooting in the low 30s at halftime. So eventually they picked that up in the second half. But uh, uh, you know Kentucky Kentucky did what they needed to do. They took care of business. Uh, Indiana the same thing. Um, I ex- actually expected Chattanooga to give a better fight. Yeah, they came in 29 and five. I did too. Uh, yeah. A lot, yeah, a lot of people were saying that could be an upset. Uh, I think Indiana is a good team. I, you know, you mentioned the four teams in, in the East, the top four seeds. I would even throw Indiana into that mix because I think yeah. I think they're that good. Uh, I think both them and Kentucky are probably maybe underseeded. Maybe Indiana yes. deserves a four, Kentucky maybe a three. So uh, that's going to be a great game. It's two teams that unfortunately never play each other anymore, and, yeah. and everybody yeah. wants them to. So now they're forced to in a second round game. And what, what you have now is some of these games. I mean, you look at Kansas, UConn. You look at Indiana, Kentucky. Um, yeah. Uh, well, so far in potential matchups, you know, we'll see what happens after tomorrow. But at least those two, and, and potential ones that we could have, they look like Sweet 16 matchups. Like if you yes. if Indiana play Kentucky in the UConn, Sweet 16, you UConn, would say it's that type of game, and it's a second round game. I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's, so that, that's a heck of a matchup for second round. It's a shame that we're going to lose one of those teams uh, after that game. But that should be a great game. The times are set, by the way. Uh, that game is going to be at 5:15. I know we were talking about this. Uh, before the show, we we always say how uh, CBS likes to lead in with Duke, but that De- Yale uh, Duke game is going to be 2:40 now on Saturday. The first game of the day is actually going to be Wichita State in Miami, which is going to be a great game. Uh, but speaking of Wichita, what, what, yeah. What were you yeah, saying about just, Utah? Just my, yeah, just getting back to that one, yeah, because 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 you mentioned it, uh, the Utah game um, that got a little nerve wracking there for, for Utah. They they were out comfortably. Fresno State made that a game. Uh, as it got deeper into the second half, but, but eventually Utah uh, had just too much size and, and too much strength for, for Fresno State, and they pull away. They win it by 11. So uh, now they have a matchup with Gonzaga, which is going to be real interesting, and a, a couple of uh, uh, Western teams going at it, and two two great programs, uh, long long time great Western programs playing out in Denver in the Midwest region. That's going to be a great matchup. I was going to say Gonzaga, Utah. That's another amazing matchup. All these matchups. Yeah, Butler, yeah, that, that could be a 16 game too. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> you know, you're it's round. crazy. Providence, Providence, and North Carolina in the in the second round. That's crazy. Gonzaga, Utah, crazy. UConn, Kansas. That's a national championship three years ago. Butler, Virginia. I mean, obviously Arkansas, Little Rock, and Iowa State, but Indiana, Kentucky. That's a huge one. Uh, Wichita State and Miami, of course. It's nuts, man. All these matchups are just crazy. But getting back to a Wichita State in Arizona, an upset that I saw coming. I know you had Arizona there, uh, Jonathan, but I saw Wichita State winning this game from the perspective of yeah. look. I know they. I know they lost in the Mountain Valley or the, the Missouri Valley Conference. Uh, to Northern Iowa, who plays Texas tomorrow, which I am just more than giddy to watch that game. But uh, but Arizona got just – Wichita State came out, and, and they said it on the halftime show when I was watching that game. 
They came out more confident. Wichita State just came out confident. They've been here before. Ron Baker has seen this story multiple times. He's been in he's been in this situation numerous times. Big games during the regular season when he's when he's played against teams. He's played in the uh, in the in the national spotlight before with this team. They just find ways to win, and they got it done today. They just flat out got it done. Played great basketball up and down. I mean. I don't know what else there is to say. They just flat out beat Arizona. They just flat out beat them. And they looked like the team that should have been the sixth seed outside of Arizona, who should have been the 11th seed. And Wichita State beat Vandy by 20 the day before, uh, the couple days before, and then they beat Arizona by 10. I mean, they're doing what they're supposed to do to keep moving in the tournament. And, and getting it done over Arizona the way they did was outstanding. What did you see from that one there? Well, defense travels. I mean, if you look at what they yeah. the way they beat uh, Vanderbilt, it traveled to Dayton, it traveled to Providence, and it's probably going to keep traveling if they keep, if they keep turning it up. Uh, Miami's going to be a little bit tougher to contain and to guard, uh, but you can definitely see. Uh, we talk about sometimes these these playing games. We saw it with VCU. Uh, I think it was I think I saw a stat where five in the last couple two three years or so whatever it was, uh, at least five teams that had played in that playing game, not the 16 seeds, but the 11 seeds that had played yes. in that playing game had won a game in the tournament once they got beyond that round. So there's yep. something to be said for playing in that game, getting the jitters out, having a game under your belt. <laughs> it's funny. They just showed that, uh, RJ Hunter shot. You brought it up before. They just showed it. Yeah. Last <laughs> I think because they're talking about that, that was against Baylor. So yeah, so two years in a row for them. But, uh, but yeah, defense travels, and, and, and I think there's something to be said for playing in that in that that early game because you, you get a game under your belt and you, you're more relaxed, and it's, it's tough for that team like Arizona. It was their first game in the tournament after sitting around after the Pac-12 tournament, having yeah. not played. Wichita State played a game against against Van. They weren't that sharp either defensively. They were, but not no. offensively. They were tied 30-30 at halftime. Uh, with, with Vanderbilt, uh, they were they were only up two. I think it was fifty to forty-eight late in the second half, and they closed. I think it was a twenty to two run to win seventy-fifty. So, but but again, they they lock you down. You know, fifty points against Vanderbilt, yes. fifty-five against Arizona. That surprised. I thought they'd come and play defense. Uh, I thought this Arizona team was underseeded at a six. I thought they deserved maybe something like a four somewhere around there. And I expected. Yeah. A, a close game. I, I I did not expect this to be easy. I thought Arizona would maybe try to escape by four, five, six points, something like that. I didn't expect them to win it easy at all, but I thought they would just eventually wear Wichita State down and that Wichita State, whose strength is defense, even though they have Van Fleet and Baker who can make shots and make plays offensively, their strength is defense, and I thought they just wouldn't be able to keep up quite enough offensively with Arizona, and Arizona would win more kind of a – the game somewhere in the 60s, somewhere something like that, like a 66-60 kind of game, and they just could not get the offense going. Credit to Wichita State. I no. mean, Arizona, as bad as Stony Brook, I was keeping an eye on both games at, at the same time, uh, and as bad as Stony Brook was shooting in the first half and, and being held to 19 points, uh, the same thing happened to Arizona. <laughs> Their shooting percentage was kind yeah. of matching Stony Brook's as that first half yeah. went on, and they, they also scored 19 points, I think, in the first half, and uh, they were just locked down, could not get anything going offensively. Very surprised to see an Arizona team like that. As good as Wichita State is defensively, I was surprised to see an Arizona team like that held to just 55 points. Uh, and it had uh, uh, Sean Miller having to change his shirt at halftime. I don't know if you saw that because he was, he was yeah, sweating yeah. right through it again. <laughs> it happen again in the second half. So he, he, was, uh, he was hot under the collar, literally. And uh, 
And you know, very, and he had reason to be nervous the way his team was performing offensively against a team that plays outstanding defense, and it's going to give them another chance against Miami. Uh, and who knows? You know, it, it worked for VCU in a different way, a totally different style. Yeah. Uh, you know, they were yeah. up and down, pressing, shooting threes, and everything. They're more of a fun style. Wichita State's more of a grinded out, blocky down style. So yeah. different style of play. But VCU, we saw in 2011, they went from the, that first Played four game as an 11 seed right right through, yeah, right through the final four. It helped them. And Wichita State, same colors, you know, might be, might be following <laughs> the same kind of path here. We'll see what happens. Yeah, uh, and, and I just want to say this because I've been saying it all pretty much all year long on the Hoopers log, and I've been saying it all year. The Pacific, the Pac-12 is overrated. Look, it is. It's overrated, man. I'm telling yeah, you. Yeah, well, you know, we'll, we'll see tomorrow because Hawaii is a dangerous team, especially with California yeah. losing their point guard to a broken hand now. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Very interesting to see after what happened in the Pac-12 today. What's going to happen with California against Hawaii tomorrow? Well, the Pac-12 has got seven. I was shocked. To be honest, I was shocked to see seven teams from the Pac-12 get in because outside of Utah, and that's not because Utah won today. That's because Utah, I've watched them throughout the year, and, and I've, I'll say it. Look, they are, they are impressive. They're a very impressive school. They're very impressive for what they do. And with that being said, I, 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 I think they're the only team realistically that could get, get to the Sweet 16 when it comes to the Pac-12 because the rest of these teams, when it comes to talent, they're there. But when it comes to consistency, it's not there. And even Utah was inconsistent at times throughout the season. So there's just a lot of inconsistency with a lot of these teams in the Pac-12. And I think Oregon can get to the Sweet 16. But, man, if Cincinnati can beat St. Joe's tomorrow, I'm telling you, I think that's going to be a tough matchup for Oregon. We'll talk about those here in a little bit. But, obviously, Wichita State beating Arizona, uh, Kentucky. Uh, but I just mentioned the Pac-12. And probably outside of Little Rock and, and Purdue, Providence and USC was, was game of the night. This The final three minutes of this game, uh, that's all you need to watch. Look, if you DVR'd this coming home late, you know, you're driving home right now, if you're listening to this and you got to go watch Providence, look, watch the final three minutes. It's, it defines March Madness, just like Little Rock and Purdue defines March Madness. The final three minutes of Providence and USC defined what a 9-8 matchup should look like. This was a game down the stretch where I, me, <laughs> me and John were, were tweeting between one another. We're like, this is crazy. This is like every other tweet. This is crazy. This is amazing. This is insane. Like, it was just fundamentally outstanding. USC coming down, getting the bucket, taking the lead. Providence taking the lead. USC tying it up. Providence tying it up. It was just absolutely a, a joy to watch this ball game, and, and thankfully it didn't go to overtime. But it was an unbelievable game. Providence getting it done. Rodney Bullock, three seconds left to go on an inbound pass behind, underneath the basket. A big no-no when it comes to basketball 101. Leaving the man who gets under the basket wide open. Unfortunately, it was mostly a screen that got him open, but still, that should never, ever happen in basketball, and it did. Rodney Bullock got it in with a, with a second and a half left in the ball game. And Providence wins 70-69, to moving on to play UNC in the next round. It's a big-time game. What did you see from this one, uh, uh, Jonathan? This was, an, I mean, this was an unbelievable basketball game. Yeah, I mean, great game. Probably The uh, big thing with, uh, with USC, though, they missed three out of four free throws down the stretch. And had they made those, probably a different result. Yes, yes. They kind of opened the door for them. But, uh, but again, Pac-12, again, you know, we, we talked about Colorado before. They had the lead by nine and a half. They lost. Uh, it seemed like, you know, Utah was the only team that got it done. You know, we, we, we touched on it before, the teams that, that did not get it done, Arizona, uh, you know, Colorado, and now USC again here losing to, to Providence. So uh, 
Providence showed a lot of heart, a lot of fight, and I think, uh, you know, with Bentle on the inside and Chris Dunn, one of the better guards who, who I think will go high in the NBA draft, uh, yeah. they could cause some problems for North Carolina. So we'll, that's going to be an interesting game. That's going to be a 9.40 p.m. game on Saturday night, so uh, they'll have some time to sit around and think about that one. But uh, I, I picked Providence in this game, and uh, – to win it, but I was not confident about this all the way the way this was going. I think oh USC controlled the game. It wasn't by much, but because Providence was hanging around, but USC was pretty much in control uh, for most of this game. Where even though they didn't have a comfortable lead, uh, they were making Providence chase them for the majority of this game, and they just let it get away. And like I said, three out of four free throws he missed down the stretch. Game like this, one point game, fundamental things, you know, like you brought it up, allowing Bullock underneath the basket, you know, untouched like that for a game winner like that. Guy beats you with a long, long shot. Look, like, look, Little Rock makes, you know, uh, Higgins makes the long three, right, to send it to overtime. Right. Uh, shot like that, you just tip your cap and say, hey, look, what are you going to do? You know, yeah, we left him alone, but look, he, he, uh, he, he made the three, you know, what can you do? But to, to allow a game right. winner when you're up one and lose by one on a play like that, on an inbound uh, from the baseline, uh, somebody untouched right under the basket, that's just one-on-one. And then to miss three out of four free throws, those types of things, you, you can't do it in an 8-9 game that's that's a, that's a one-point game. So, I mean, you know. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. It cost USC. It's just an unbelievable game. I mean, just like you said, man, the, the gut wrenching. The way that was the way you don't want to lose a ball game right there was the way was the way USC lost it. Real, I mean, really, the missing free throws, one on one play underneath the basket. But outside of that, I mean, just just heart wrenching, gut wrenching basketball, and that's what you want to see from March Madness. And you saw it with Providence and USC. And the final game of the night, as we just said, obviously about about forty. 30, 40 minutes ago, just ended Seton Hall. Losing to Gonzaga, 68. Gonzaga gained the victory, 68-52. Upset there as well. Gonzaga 11 over a 6. I honestly thought Seton Hall would come out and play better, but like you mentioned to me as we were, as we were talking about these other games, when, when Isaiah Whitehead, your superstar player on your team, yeah. only, he, he, I he mean, 4 for 23. I mean, 0 for 10 from th- – 4 for 23 overall, 0 for 10 from 3. You, you can't win that way. I mean, he, he helped carry them to that Big East title. I don't know if it was a, a post-Big East uh, tournament championship uh, hangover or letdown or the travel, you know, because Gonzaga didn't have to go yeah. as far. Yeah. You know, they had to go a decent, decent amount, about 1,100 miles to go yeah. from Spokane out to Denver. But, you know, coming from New Jersey, uh, Seton Hall had to go much further. And I don't know if it was that and maybe the, the – uh, it's the same for both teams, I guess, but maybe the, maybe the altitude in Denver – because yeah. they just did yeah. not look themselves, and they just could not shoot, and they, they were just ice cold. And when Whitehead, like you said, 4 for 23, 0 for 10, that just kills you, and Gonzaga wins by 16. Well, and I think you, and you're right. Um, in Spokane, so I live out here in the Pacific Northwest, Spokane's about three hours east of me, and uh, it, it, the, the altitude is not – I mean, it's, it's obviously way higher in Denver, but there's altitude in Spokane, believe it or not, and it's pretty high. It's not a mile high. It's probably about 2,000 – 2,500 feet off the ground. So going there was not as hard as obviously coming from the East Coast with the travel and then going all the way to the West Coast in altitude after a big conference championship. And obviously Gonzaga won their conference championship. But but the Big East, and in the Big East, unfortunately, is not as great as it used to be. But at the same time, they won it. They got it done. But I think you're right to a degree that that was probably more of a struggle than anything else. And, and obviously with Isaiah Whitehead not playing well, it's not going to fare well 
at all. Those are your 16 games recapped in college basketball. Real quickly before we get out of here, I want to talk about these games for tomorrow, just, just real quickly what matchups there are. There's obviously 16 more games tomorrow. We will be here at the same time, same place, uh, uh, 12.30 a.m., in the morning Eastern time, and we will do nine. It'll be 9.30 p.m. Pacific here on the Hooper's Log, but we're here. We're going to real quickly before we get out of here, I just want to talk about these matchups, and then I'm going to bed, and I know you're going to bed. Uh, we're, we're, that's what's going to happen. Anyway, Syracuse, Dayton is happening first thing in the morning. UNC, Asheville, Villanova. I am, man, UNC, Asheville, after today's games, that's going to be unbelievable. I think that's going to be one of the best games of the day. VCU, Oregon State. VCU is favored over Oregon State, even though they're a 10 over, uh, over a 7. I would take VCU. And they're, they're Utah, Pac-12 again, again, right? <laughs> hey, there's, hey, Pac-12 overrated, baby. I'm telling you, VCU is not going to get it. I'm, they're not gonna, Hawaii and California, as you mentioned. California losing uh, their, one of their star players. Uh, he's out with that hand injury. And uh, Hawaii is definitely hot off the Big West. They've got a lot of momentum now coming in. California's got talent, but they've obviously got a little bit of a problem, and that's another Big Twelve. That's another Pac-12 matchup. So they got that game going on. That goes on right after the uh, VCU Oregon State game. Middle Tennessee and Michigan State. I really don't see Michigan State having a problem with that one. Temple and Iowa. Uh, that's a fun one. That's going to be an amazing game. Uh, CSU Bakersfield and Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma will take care of it, but don't be shocked if Bakersfield keeps it close. South Dakota State and Maryland. Look, Maryland has proven this year that they can play very inconsistent at times. They're very talented. They're very good, but they have been very inconsistent throughout the year, and South Dakota State could put a spark in that game, and who knows, they could potentially win. Pittsburgh, Wisconsin, two really ugly teams in different ways. Wisconsin grinds you up down low, and Pittsburgh runs with you, but they kind of and they kind of grind you up too. Uh, both teams are very – don't be shocked if that game is played uh, in the 50s tomorrow. That's going to be a very low-scoring game for both teams. It wouldn't shock me. Stephen F. Austin, this might be the game that I want to sit down and watch from the perspective of I know West Virginia runs the press uh, on defense, and they're really tough to get through. But if Stephen F. Austin can beat the press, they have had over a couple of days, three, four days to figure it out now uh, on tape. If they can figure out the press – do not be shocked if Stephen F. Austin finds a way to get past West Virginia if they figure it out. Because if they do, they dominated. And I know they didn't play anybody in their conference because their conference is weak. But they dominated. I mean, beat teams by 30, 20, 30 points throughout the year, basically from January on. They destroyed their conference all the way up and down. They could give West Virginia a tough time if they can beat that press defense. Green Bay, Texas A&M, I think Texas A&M will get it done, but don't be shocked if Green Bay finds a way to keep it close. Holy Cross, Oregon. Oregon should dominate. Weber State, Xavier, that's, that game's interesting. Michigan, Michigan and Notre Dame, that's a big, 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 big rivalry. That could go either way. You and I in Texas, that is the – I mean, man, I, that, I'm getting my popcorn ready. I'm getting, a, I'm getting <laughs> some alcohol. I'm, I'm watching. That is, that is a game that is going to be – Oh, man, I, I hope that game is all it lives up to be because it's going to be amazing. And then, obviously, Cincinnati and St. Joe's to end the night. There are some matchups tomorrow that are just insane. What are you looking for, Jonathan? Yeah, I, I, I'm curious to see how Syracuse plays because a lot of times uh, you see it, and this doesn't mean that I that the pick is justified because I, I don't think they yeah. deserve to be in the tournament with a 70 RPI. And even though St. Bonaventure with a 30 RPI did lose, to Wagner, the eighth seed in the NIT in their first game yeah. of the NIT, which which kind of looks good for the committee. It justifies the Syracuse pick over St. Bonaventure to a degree. Uh, I still don't think it was the right pick. but And and certainly if they're getting in, they should have been in the play-in game. They shouldn't be a 10 seed, which means they're pretty much yes. locked the whole way, even though they lost the five out of the last six. I don't know how that is and going 19-13. But a lot of times you see in this tournament, 
what happened? We saw it with UCLA. Now, granted, uh, and, and other teams too, but you know, granted that there was a, a goaltending call that they benefited from that that, uh, uh, that that should not have helped them out. But you know, they beat SMU and they got to the Sweet 16 after everyone said that 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 UCLA didn't belong in. That it was, I think, it was last year. I don't even remember if it was last year or the year before at this point. But uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of a lot of times when you, when you see a team, oh, this team never belongs, right? What are they doing there? They don't belong. That's the team that, that wins a game or wins two games and, and proves everybody wrong and says, okay, you know, everyone said they didn't belong and they didn't, and, and then they make it to the Sweet 16. So, you know, right. sometimes you like you would see that. Although that game is in St. Louis, so I expect a lot of Dayton fans to show up for that one. And, and I think Dayton will get it done, but that's a rematch of a good game uh, in the tournament recently, so I'll keep an eye on that one. Um, I'd like to see how Villanova comes out because uh, sometimes – especially in the early round. You know, Jay Wright's had some talented teams. He's got a two-seed again this year, and they don't always live up to expectations, and sometimes they'll even struggle early against a team like like Asheville, like a 15-seed like this, uh, to really struggle and, and get a scare before they get by. California-Hawaii is a really interesting game. I want to see how that game goes, especially without their point guard uh, with the broken hand now. Hawaii is a good team. Uh, played Oklahoma very tough early in the year, so I want to see how that game goes. Well, yeah, just Interesting matchups all over the place, um, and uh, you know we'll see how this goes. And potentially uh, for the second round, looking ahead, depending on how these games go tomorrow, you could potentially have a couple of uh, interesting uh, teams from the same areas meeting each other. I'm sure the committee did this on purpose, but Temple yes. <laughs> and Villanova, if they both win, it's the Battle of Philly in that one. If Texas and Texas A&M both take care of business uh, yep. against Northern Iowa and Green Bay, respectively, though I expect Northern Iowa to win that game, uh, then you could have the Battle of Texas between Texas and Texas A&M. And then eventually you could have Oklahoma facing one of those down the road, which would be another kind of area rivalry for fans, you know. So, um, yeah, it should be, should be another great day. Wisconsin-Pittsburgh should be an interesting game, a uh, physical game, a uh, tight game. And uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. It could probably be another... Another great day, day of ball. Um, you know, a lot of people don't don't underestimate the Jackrabbits. Too. I did take Maryland because I, I think the talent will ultimately prove out. But like you said, they've been very inconsistent. They haven't lived up to the preseason kind of top five or top ten talent that people thought that they were going to have. Uh, nobody expected them to have double-digit losses like, like they've had by now. And uh, I believe they have ten losses they have right now. Um, South Dakota State's got an RPI of 28. So they may, may come from a league. You know where you wouldn't expect them to do much damage, but another 5-12 game. We saw a couple of those today. Yeah. We'll see how the 5-12 games go tomorrow. Um, last year we didn't have any, so you know that was always that's always the game that people look at is the 5-12 game. You know how that's, how's that going to go when you look at upsets? Um, last year was 0 for 4 for the 12 seeds. Today was 2 for 2 for the 12 seeds. Tomorrow you got a dangerous game for Maryland in the 5-12 game and the other 5-12 game. Um, Bakerfield. Oh no 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 uh, that's that's fifteen two. Uh no, I think I think we had three today. We had three five oh, twelve. Oh, Chattanooga, Indiana. Indiana. Yeah, I'm sorry. Indiana won today. So yeah, so it's a, it's already two and one for the twelve seed. So so tomorrow's the uh the the uh, could be either a tie or you could have the uh, twelve seeds taking three out of four after losing all four last year. Uh if the Jackrabbits can get it done. How can you not like that nickname? The Jack <laughs> we got to be a jackrabbit to stay up this time of night. I mean, geez, it's almost it's almost two a.m. on the East Coast. It's almost eleven o'clock p.m. time here. Hey, it's March, man. It's a minutes. tournament. There, there is no sleep, dude, man. <laughs> there is no sleep. We don't sleep around here. Heck, no, man. We stay up. 
we get it done, we get it going, and I'm telling you, if you love today, I'm, I, I, like I said, there are some, I mean, some of the matchups that I circled that I didn't even know they were playing on Friday, most of them, some of the, some of the matchups I circled were a lot of the games on Friday, so if you're going to tune in to March Madness and you're going to take a day off work, you've got to do it Friday, because Friday, I'm, I'm telling you, there are just some really good basketball matchups showing up. Even if it's not like a great, like, like, a, like an upset, it's just going to be good basketball. We saw that today, and it's only going to get better tomorrow. We have a phone call on the line real quick before we get out of here. Who is this on the line? 765. Hey. Oh. Hi, name is TJ. Uh, hey, CJ, how you doing? Um, yeah? There are five. Uh, I think if you look at the season, had they won the Big Ten tournament, they could have been a two. For a one, they won tonight easily. What do you think about IU? Oh, hey, I'm going to put you back on hold, but awesome. I mean, hey, what I think about IU is, look, if they beat Kentucky, as we just mentioned, in the eastern bracket with those teams, Xavier, uh, you know, UNC, uh, who's the other team? Obviously Kentucky. Who's the other team in the east bracket that could have a chance? Um, I'm not thinking of it right now. Uh, three teams. There you go, West Virginia with the with the press. Look, Indiana is a team where if they beat Kentucky, they could play UNC. And like you said, that if if they would have won the 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 Big Ten tournament, which was which is already a, an already a very tough and a very tough bracket by itself. Um, they won the regular season Big Ten, which is already in itself an amazing accomplishment uh, from the standpoint of you got Michigan State, you got these other teams up Maryland, you've got these incredibly talented teams, and IU found a way to stay consistent throughout the year in the Big Ten. That does a lot of damage, and that is proving why that this Eastern bracket is going to be brutal. Look, it's not Indiana's fault that they're in the Eastern bracket and that it's already tough. And if they can beat Kentucky on Saturday, which can be, it just it is possible. Look, Kentucky played Stony Brook. I'm not knocking Stony Brook, but they're kind Kind of on the same level as Chattanooga, so what they both did was incredible. Kentucky is a younger team. Indiana is a little bit more, just a little bit. They're both young still, but they're college players. But but Indiana is a team that has proven all year long, from pretty much January or December all the way up until now, that they're a very formidable opponent and that they could go really far in this tournament. And look, if they beat Kentucky and they beat them soundly, who's to say they can't do the same thing to UNC? And then if they get to the Elite Eight, who's to say they can't do that and get to the Final Four? They are a Final Four threat. They can get there. Will they win the title? No. Can they get to the title? Maybe. Anything's possible. It's March. But if you ask me what I think about Indiana, I think Indiana's a legit chance of getting to the Final Four, and they could get there if all goes right. And if they beat Kentucky, I mean, which obviously you have to beat all your teams, but when they, if they beat Kentucky, I, I think they have a legit chance of getting to that Final Four. What do you think, uh, Jonathan? Well, look, I mean, they went 15-3 and in a league that Michigan State went 13-5. and <laughs> So, and we right. know Michigan State is a, is a, is a one of the top favorites, one maybe probably one of the top three, along with Kansas and North Carolina, as far as the contestants to to win a national title in this tournament. I, I think Indiana is very dangerous. It's a team I've been I've been keeping an eye on all year long. Uh, they, this might be a bad matchup for them uh, with with Kentucky because of Kentucky's uh, length and and the way that they can play defense and block shots. But if Indiana can hit some threes and can get out in transition and can force some turnovers and can run. They're going to give Kentucky all they can handle. I, I really think it comes down for them to how effective they are from three. They didn't need it today against against Chattanooga so much uh, because they were able to do whatever they wanted pretty much. And once they started to pull away, 
So that, that wasn't much of a test for them. But this next game, like I said, you know, this is like more like a Sweet 16 type of feel to it. Yeah, you know, yeah having it is. Tucking in. Yeah, it's a shame, again, it's a shame that the committee probably misseeded these teams and, 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 and we're seeing them in the second round. But it, it's our treat on, on Saturday because this is going to be a great game to watch. Um, and, again, it's, it's, it's one of those games where it's, it's a kind of a rivalry game, a long, old rivalry, rivalry where these two teams just don't play each other anymore. The fans want them, the media, everybody wants them to play each other, and they just refuse to play each other anymore. But now they're forced to by the tournament, so that, that makes it really intriguing from that standpoint. But, if, you know, if, if Yogi Ferrell plays his game, if they, can, if they can get out and hit threes, and if they if they can get enough stops at the defensive end and cause enough problems, I, I think Kentucky is going to have their way a little bit inside because that's not really Indiana's game. So if Kentucky can score in the paint, but Indiana can kind of offset that with with the three ball and also with with running a little bit and getting out in transition to make enough stops late as as the game wears on in the second half, I think they have a great shot. You know, I know a lot of people are going to consider Kentucky. Absolutely. Uh, the favorite in this game and expect expect them to win this game, but it would not shock me at all if Indiana wins this game, and it wouldn't shock me uh, if they go even further than that and and, and win another couple of games. And if they can, I, I put them up there. They're kind of like to me, they're that second tier of Final Four teams. You have your Kansas, you have your your, your Michigan yeah. State, North Carolina. Maybe you could throw Oklahoma in the mix and teams like that. Uh, but I think you know a team like Xavier, right? It was a two seed. I give Indiana yeah. if they can get by Kentucky just as much, if not more, of a chance to get to Final Four and maybe maybe get to the title game. I agree, and I am and I am in exact same boat. That's that we're we are nearing the end of our show. Thank you again for calling in uh, that from from Indiana. That was outstanding. Uh, we're nearing the end of our show here again. Day one is in the books. Day one is in the books, and we are going to wrap up the show now. And we are going to get you out of here with a bang. Uh, I know Jonathan's going to be watching basketball tomorrow. I'll be watching basketball. I know you will. If you're up this late, that fan who just called in about Indiana, you know he's going to be watching the tournament tomorrow. You know it, obviously. He's up at 2 in the morning. Come on, man. Anyway, we're out of here. We're going to be back tomorrow, same time, same place, 9.30 p.m. Pacific, 12.30 a.m. Eastern time here on the Hoopers Lock. Through CLNS in the SeatGeek studios. My name is Simo Buckets. And Jonathan Wagner is out of here. Jonathan, anything else to say before we get out of here? No, just uh, get to sleep back at it in 10 hours. <laughs> there you go. All right, we're back at it tomorrow, everybody. Have a good one. Enjoy the games tomorrow. We'll be back at it same time tomorrow, please.